Welcome to the Art Song Podcast. My name is Daniela Theresia and I'm a mezzo-soprano and I'm joined by my friend and pianist Suzanne Yeo for an episode of our Eternal Feminine series. This set of podcasts was inspired by my concert series called The Eternal Feminine, which expresses the feminine perspective through women's words and music. In the past, we've explored themes like love, relationships, motherhood, loss, and one's purpose in life. We've done this by performing pieces either based on female characters or pieces with a female composer or poet. For the Eternal Feminine podcast series, we've decided to focus on female composers and poets in order to bring these women into a modern context. Some of these women are not very well known, and we wanted to recognize them for their works, as well as bring the art song genre to a larger audience. Today, we'll be discussing the piece Le Ruban Rose by Augusta Olmes. Now, Augusta Olmes was born in 1847 and died in 1903. Her last name was actually Holmes. Um, she was born in Paris, but her father was Irish. Well, well that is unless he was Alfred de Vigny. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe you'd like to tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apparently there was a rumor that her real dad was the French poet Alfred de Vigny. And it had to do with her apparent resemblance to him and also that he was a very close friend of her family. Um, he was actually her godfather. She did not disencourage the rumor too vigorously, let's put it that way. Um, and I tend, I, I'm a bit cynical, so I tend to think it was probably good PR of a sort. I mean, I noticed that the English language material tends to say, nah, he's probably not her actual father. But but the French language material just runs with it. <laughs> um, like sometimes they just say, oh, yes, yes, she was, um, which makes me think that there might just be a certain preference there for more romantic narratives, um, in which case she clearly knew her audience. <laughs> yeah, she certainly did. <laughs> so um, let's say her official father <laughs> was Major Charles William Scott Delkeith Holmes. And he was born in Ireland and then eventually moved to France, where he met and married Trifina Anna Constance Augusta Shearer, who was of mixed Irish and Scottish heritage. And then some 20 years into their marriage, Augusta Mary Ann Holmes was born. Yes, she didn't become Augusta Olmes until 1871, which was when she became a French citizen and added an accent to the E in her name, which is why we say Olmes and not Holmes. Mm-hmm. So Olmes actually showed a lot of musical talent early on, but neither of her parents were musically inclined or even that interested in music. Her mother actually forbade her from even playing piano in the house. There's a story about Olmes trying to stab herself with a dagger um, in protest against her mother for not, for not letting her pursue her passion. Um, and in fact, she wasn't able to do so until her mother died when she was 11 years old. And at that point, she was allowed to um, to pursue music in earnest. 
So she began studying piano and clarinet, and she started composing her own works, as well as writing poetry and painting. And some of her early works were published under the name Herman Zenta, which is a, a man's name that she made up for the, for the purpose of publishing. Now, Major Holmes was very well connected and began to host regular salons in their house to showcase young Augusta's talent. And she caught people's attention from the start, not only because of her striking features and this remarkable crop of golden red hair, uh, which people couldn't help but comment on, but also because of the vivacity of her compositions and her willingness to work on a larger, more symphonic scale than you would normally associate with women composers of this time. Yes, um, actually a lot of the rhetoric from the, the mostly male critics of the time has this very conflicted quality to it. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, um, they thought she was hot, especially in her younger days. <laughs> um, but but it's it's also you know the, when they talked about her music, if they liked it, they they would say, oh, it's very virile. Um, or, or if they didn't like it, then they would sort of imply that she was just trying not very successfully to be an imitation of a man. Mm -hmm. And she was frequently accused of imitating Wagner whom she actually did admire and then later became acquainted with him. Even Saint-Saëns, who was generally friendlier to her, um, came up with this very convoluted, very backhanded, quote-unquote, compliment, um, where he said, like children, women have no idea of obstacles <laughs> and their willpower breaks all barriers. Mademoiselle Holmes is a woman, an extremist. So, <laughs> you know, I guess you could say that's a sort of impressiveness. Um, but, but, but then this willingness to mix it up with the big boys is also interpreted as being, being due to a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of infantile, excessive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, like I said, very, very backhanded. Yes, <laughs> hardly a compliment. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to read these commentaries out of the context of their time. Although even a more modern article from the 60s about Olmes wasn't incredibly flattering. But... Um, as we've seen with a lot of the women that we've featured on this podcast series, we know that society hasn't always been supportive of professional women, um, whether that mean meant actively preventing them, as in Fanny Hensel's case, or writing about them in these patronizing terms, or simply not stepping to their aid. Um, you know, it's hard for us to read these reviews and not simply think, okay, well, another patronizing man of the time undermining yet another woman. <laughs> <laughs> and in Sasson's case, one can't help but wonder if it's not a case of sour grapes because she turned him down multiple times. She turned down multiple marriage proposals from him. <laughs> you know, not to defend them, but it's true that Olmes's compositions sometimes seem a bit rough or over the top. But you also have to remember that she was largely self-taught. Um, because she was a woman, she was not allowed to study at the Paris Conservatoire, although she did study privately with teachers. And in 1875, she began to study with the famed uh, teacher, organist, and composer César Franck. And Franck was apparently so taken with her that he was moved to compose his piano quintet in F minor as an expression of his admiration. Well, I mean, admiration might be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he reportedly confessed that she um, aroused unspiritual desires in him. And, and the music of the quintet was so passionate and erotic that supposedly everyone at the first performance who knew about his um, probably very obvious crush was really embarrassed by it. 
Mm-hmm. And not least of these, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> but she apparently famously hated the piece. Um, and, and, and actually, the official dedicatee of the piece was Saint-Saëns. And he played the piano part for the premiere. He was so infuriated by it that he walked off the stage afterwards without shaking Frank's hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently he was sight reading at the premiere, so um, he wasn't really prepared for the onslaught of emotion that was going to come at him. But uh, <laughs> clearly he got the message. <laughs> <laughs> but um, enough gossip. <laughs> So Olmes didn't actually end up with any of her admirers from the conservatoire, although according to Sanson, you know, they were all in love with her there. Instead, she eventually took up with the poet Catul Mondes, and they had five children together, although they never married. Mondes was actually married to another woman, Judith Gautier, and some say that he and Augusta were together even before his marriage to Judith. But he eventually formally separated from Judith, and he and Augusta began living together, um, from between 1869 to 1886. Yes, um, Modest appears to have been a bit of a drama machine. Um, not not just going by the relationships with Augusta and Judith, but, but also like his later ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, it seems that even though he was a poet, only one artistic collaboration came out of their relationship. Uh, it was a song. Mm-hmm. The, the aptly named Chanson. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, it's it's not maybe the most exciting title, um, but um, anyhow, it, it may, maybe it's not really surprising that they didn't collaborate a lot because she actually wrote most of her libretti and texts, mm-hmm. except for a few early works. Yeah, she was certainly a very hands-on creator. I also read that she was involved in designing costumes and sets for one of her operas. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> um, but I mean, Omes was actually. You know, compared to other women composers or musicians of the time, she was in a very unique position because as her father's only child, she inherited all of his wealth. And so she could kind of do what she pleased. Um, And because she never married, any royalties from her publications went to her and not to her husband, which was kind of the standard of the time. Um, So she was able to support herself as a professional musician, which is quite a feat for the time. It's clear she was very well known in her day, um, you know, even abroad, because Dame Ethel Smith has some words to say about her. (laughs) But she was very prolific and her musical output was, you know, just really impressive. She wrote three operas. She was the first woman to have an opera performed at the Paris Opera House, even though it purportedly was a failure. (laughs) It closed after just 13 shows, but You know, still, that's a milestone. She wrote multiple cantatas and the symphonic works, and also a multitude of solo, vocal, and piano works. Um, Her piece de résistance may be the Ode Triomphale, which was written to commemorate the centenary of the French Revolution in 1889. And this also coincided with the World Exhibition in Paris, for which the Eiffel Tower was created. So, you know, this was no small-scale celebration. And the Autriomphale required 1,200 musicians, um, some sources say 1,300, which is also pretty spectacular in and of itself. Right. And, and, and there is um, a lithograph um, of the performance, which, which shows a pretty packed audience in, in a massive, massive hall. But yeah, I, I mean, she, she, she definitely thought big and, and, and she could be pretty enterprising. Um, because she was the one who actually proposed the Au Triomphale to the Expo Committee after they had run this contest for potential pieces to be performed for the mm-hmm. occasion and they didn't really like 
the, the entries they that, that were submitted to them. Mm-hmm. I also read that um, that someone com- commissioned her to write a piece for a celebration in Florence. So you know she was she was internationally well known. <laughs> um, I mean. Obviously, we're not going to be uh, featuring the Old Triomphale today. <laughs> I think no. it requires 900 singers. <laughs> and an orchestra. Right. <laughs> that would be a lot of um, isolation recordings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the piece that we're discussing today is the Ruban Rose, or the Pink Ribbon. And I should say that even though this is a song, you know, it's not your typical two-pager ditty. It's practically a mini aria. <laughs> right. Well, well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 fairly long. I mean, it's got it's got multiple verses. You know? mm-hmm. And and um, but that said, I, I should say that the piece is not actually representative of her music in general, which is usually much more chromatic. So so like you know, maybe a bit more reminiscent of Franck or Reinaldo mm-hmm. Hahn and mm-hmm. so on. Um, but but this is this is um, different for a reason. It, it's a sort of rococo pastiche, and and the musical style reflects that. So it's jaunty and it's fairly diatonic, fairly simple. It, it's clear from the text which she wrote herself that it's set in pre-revolutionary France, because not only is the protagonist a marquise who's involved with her page. There are also allusions to her wearing her court dress and also um, that she's wearing a mouche, which is the little beauty spot that women would stick on their faces mm-hmm. in that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's actually a really funny song. The Marquise is telling the story of how and why she hooked up with her page. And, and she starts out by talking about his looks. Oh, he's so pretty, could be mistaken for a woman. And, and oh, and, you know, he comes from such a noble background, all that sort of thing. Anyway, it's obvious that they are currently involved with each other because she mentions that he's terribly jealous. But then in the fourth verse, because yes, there, like I said, there are quite a few verses, um, we flash back to one night, which is presumably when it all started. So she's interacting with him here in a context that isn't entirely clear, except that it's outdoors and she's all dolled up in court dress. So they're either at or on their way to a fancy party of some sort. And um, I know I said interacting, but <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's, it's really kind of heavily implied that they are fooling around because at some point her pink ribbon choker, which is the pink ribbon of the title, just happens to fly off <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and she says then I have no idea how that happened <laughs> I like to um, interpret this character as a little bit ditzy <laughs> which, which I hope is apparent in the recording <laughs> so anyway the prince passes by he picks up the choker and he says oh you know um, you can have it back in return for a kiss He's also a wee bit menacing and kind of hints that he might kill her lover if she doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the page is there, of course, and he's, we, we already know he's jealous. So he intervenes and he ends up fighting a duel with the prince and kills him. Mm-hmm. Which I, I know it doesn't sound like it would be particularly funny, except that the narrator is hilarious mm-hmm. because she's both, she's both oblivious at times and wink, wink, nudge, nudge at others. Um, so there, there's this bit, for instance, where she describes watching the page fight his duel with the prince. 
and all she can focus on is how cute he looks in the moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> and and then when she actually describes, you know, the prince getting killed, um, Olmes writes the direction avec joie or, you know, with joy or pleasure. <laughs> Yes, uh, well, you know, there's the good old fin de siècle perversity making an appearance. Yeah, like, oh, goody. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was kind of hot. Um, anyway, after the prince dies, the page says to the marquise, half sadly, but but only half sadly, um, that <laughs> obviously she now has to console him because he just killed his best friend. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then she purrs on, oh, well, that's why I was so nice to him. In the sort of, you know, if you know what I mean, and I think you do kind of way. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it's clearly not meant to be serious. It's a playful piece. It, it, there's this lighthearted eroticism, but it, it's not any kind of grand passion we're talking about here. It, it's the sort of thing you'd associate with the period it's set in, like something you'd find in a Watteau painting or something. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Tristan and Isolde, this is not. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Well, we won't keep you in suspense any longer. Here is our recording of Le Riba Rose by Augusta Olmes.
great piece and as I say kind of a mini aria <laughs> you know I think she just paints the scene so well and I think it also shows her poetic ability too you know it always makes a difference when the text is written with the intention to be sung so there's no you know kind of stumbling with awkward syllables that you sometimes get and she clearly knew what she wanted to do and and I think she does it well and and I have to say you know th this is sort of my favorite um, of all the songs we've featured so far in in this in, in this particular um, season. Um, it was just so, so funny. It's, it's so witty and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and arch. <laughs> and it, it's, you know, this one stands out because it's, it's just a different, it's not, you know, just love and roses like so many pieces tend to be. <laughs> I mean, it, it's oddly modern, mm -hmm. you know, despite mm -hmm. the fact that it's like set way back, so... And it's an interesting thing, Augusta Olmes, you know, even though she was very well known, um, her music has kind of fallen off the radar and, and she's kind of fallen off the radar, to be to be frank. Um, and a lot of her music has, is still unpublished today, but there is quite a bit of it out there that is published. And we would encourage you to explore that music and listen to the few recordings that do exist of her. More people are recording things these days, which is very encouraging. And if you'd like to learn more about her, please visit our website, artsong-podcast.com, where you'll find a dedicated page to Augusta Olmes under Episodes. And this concludes another episode of our Eternal Feminine series here on the Art Song Podcast. We have just one more episode in this series, which will feature Canada's own Amos Calverly, who happened to live in Oakville, which is where I live. And we have a very special treat planned for that episode, so we hope that you'll join us. We're also planning an online concert for early next year, which will include Le Ruban Rose, which you just heard. Yes, the, the working title for the concert is Neurotica, <laughs> or Ich Grolle Nicht, and other love songs. <laughs> we think that's a pretty catchy title. <laughs> so be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which you can do on our website, and you'll receive updates on our concert, as well as updates on future podcast series. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I'm Daniela Theresia, and I've been speaking with Suzanne Yo about Augusta Olmes. So thank you, Suzanne. Always a pleasure. And we'll see you next time on the Art Song Podcast. Please remember to subscribe and to share with others. Susan, sweetie.